Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you're new today, I'm Greg Montague. I'm the minister here at the church and thrilled that you're here. I want to introduce all of you to the most loving being on the planet. This is our beloved dog, Sam. Sam is attentive to every word that you speak. He hears everything. He's a great listener. He's Every move you make, he watches everything. He uh, regularly brings gifts to us. <laughs> Granted, the gifts are a bit slobbery, old bones, toys. He comes when you call. He goes when you tell him. He'll eat whatever you put in front of him. Not picky eater. He always is there to greet you when you come home, regardless of how your day has been. You can even be upset with him. And he will come back for more, knowing that that's not really how you want to be. He's never met a stranger. He'll bark if you ask if he loves Jesus. I could go on extolling the virtues of our dog Sam, as Tara knows. But... I want you to contrast Sam with the Muslim terrorist who recently drove a rented Home Depot truck for about a mile on a bike path in New York. Killed eight, injured many more. Who's easier to love, Sam or the terrorist? Say it out loud. Sam. Sam. Compare Sam with your ex-spouse who's manipulative and is using your kids and child support payments as leverage, which is easier to love, Sam or the ex-spouse. Compare Sam with a nitpicky supervisor or a professor who plays favorites or a neighbor whose habits annoy you. Who's easier to love, one of those folks or Sam? Sam. Sam. We shouldn't be Surprised, I guess, that two recent studies revealed that humans love their dogs more than their fellow man. It should not surprise us because our dogs and cats are easier to love. And they're easier to get rid of if they're not lovable. Apparently, God knew that easy love would be our natural inclination, He knew that this would be our tendency. And perhaps that's why Jesus gives us so much coaching in the Bible on how to love like God loves. And what's unique about what we're going to look at this morning, the passage, if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 5. What I want you to see this morning as we look at this, this is not even just love of your common garden variety. This is is holy love. In the context of all that Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, he he starts out saying, I I, I don't want you to think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Around verse 13, I think it is, right around there he says that. He says, "Ah, but, but I've come to fulfill them and essentially teach us how to fulfill them is really what he's going at. He's describing to us what a righteous life, what a holy life looks like. And right in the middle of this, he's he paints this picture. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, we're going to read that in a moment. We're in this series that's entitled, Help Me Understand Holiness. A quick glance at the activities of our world, the events of our news stories, and so forth. It's it's painfully obvious that we need, I mean, we're in desperate need of a fresh wave of holiness to sweep over us as a nation, as individuals. And what we see in this text is that true holiness demonstrates love on a scale that is unnatural for us. 
It just doesn't come naturally for us. And uh, it's a love that goes the second mile, as I've titled today's message. Look at verse 38 and listen to Jesus as he says this. You've heard the law that says that punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. He continues and says, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, Jesus says. And He concludes this little section by saying, But you are to be perfect. Some translations say complete Some translations actually mature, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. According to Jesus, people who are growing in holiness, people who are living out the righteous kind of life that he starts out Matthew 5 talking about, learn how to go the extra mile with people. This is what holy love looks like. It's the kind of love that defines God and God wants to define us. And every one of us can learn to live that way. But according to this passage, when Jesus says, it's going to require that you and I live a bit unnaturally. To demonstrate a holy kind of love, it, it's not a Sam the dog kind of love. It's, it's love on a whole different scale. And what I want to talk for the next few moments about is three unnatural keys to, un, uh, to growing in holiness. Three unnatural keys to growing in holiness. And by saying unnatural, what I mean is that you will not drift into this kind of love. It's going to have to be intentional. There are choices involved. The choice to go against that which you maybe naturally desire to do. And the first unnatural key to growing in holiness that really we see in Jesus' words here is that you and I have got to to learn to gracefully accept mistreatment. We've got to learn to gracefully accept mistreatment. Uh, Instead of seeking revenge, we need to accept mistreatment. Instead of getting even, instead of litigating, instead of protesting, instead of a whole lot of things that come naturally to us. We've got to learn to gracefully accept mistreatment. Listen again to how Jesus says this, and look carefully. I just want you to see a couple of words here. He says, you've heard the law that says, verse 38... The punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus is quoting Exodus 21 here, verse 23-24. And he goes on and says, But I say, do not resist. Do not resist an evil person. That word in the original language, in the original Greek language, has not just the idea of resist, I mean, that, that is there, clearly, but it also has the idea, it could easily have been translated, but I say, do not oppose an evil person, don't stand up to, don't stand against. You start putting those kind of other translations to it and it start making me and all of us nervous, doesn't it? Don't oppose that person. Don't resist them. Don't, don't stand up against that person. 
And then Jesus illustrates what he means. He doesn't leave it to our imagination. He goes on in verse 39 and just says, you know, someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the other one. Or if you're sued in court and your shirt's taken from you, give your coat too, he says. Verse 41, he says, if a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. That kind of forced labor was a, was a part of the culture of Jesus' day. Give to those who ask. Don't t- turn away from those who want to borrow. I was thinking about this the other day, as I, this week, as I was thinking about this verse, I pulled up at... Uh, got off of uh, 435 right at Metcalf, kind of an off-ramp there. And uh, here's a guy in a wheelchair sitting right there, and he's got like a veteran's jacket on, kind of, you know. You know, my mind goes into skeptical mode, and I'm just thinking, that's not his jacket. And, you know, you start doing all this kind of stuff. And, and I was kind of praying for him as I drove through the intersection, but then I was reflecting through this verse. Jesus is just saying, give to those who ask. And I'm going, ooh, it makes me uncomfortable. He sort of paints these pic- this picture, verse 39 through 42, of, of four undesirable situations and incidents that wouldn't have been happy occasions in his day, wouldn't be happy occasions in our day if somebody walked up to you and slapped you at Price Chopper. You know, you just wouldn't be inclined to want to turn your other cheek, would you? The government tried to force you to do something. You like that? We just don't. Why on earth should we endure these kinds of things to grow in holiness? To grow in love, holy kind of love. I always think of it this way. Muscles don't grow by sitting in a recliner eating pizza and watching football or, for the sake of the ladies among us, Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) Thank you, guys. You guys did that for you. That's not how muscles grow. I mean, they grow with resistance. In a similar way, our capacity for holiness, for love, for God's kind of holy love to grow in us only happens when it's inconvenient. I mean, it's part of the, part of the recipe. On some level, we had time we could talk about how evil exists in the world. God allowed it to continue to exist in the world from the garden because he understood this. And he was not just into giving us free will, but he wanted us to become like him, to to love like he loves. And for that to happen, it it requires resistance. It requires an environment where, where we're tested, where we're challenged, where love is not easy, where we can turn around any corner and our capacity to love be called into question by the events or circumstances that confront us. So what mistreatment is occurring in your life right now? And will you choose to surrender your rights and accept it gracefully? And yes, I said surrender your rights. It's like you may have the right to do something about it, but Jesus is painting a picture of like humbling yourself and turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. This is the holy kind of love that Jesus 
lived out for us. And part of what helps me when I'm in the right frame of mind with all this, I just I try to remember the cross. I try to remember the cross. You'll grow in holiness. You and I will if we'll do this. But Jesus builds on this idea in Matthew 5 and verse 44 where he challenges us to become more loving by loving our enemies. This is the second unnatural key to growing in holiness. You see what I mean by unnatural to us? Is gracefully accepting mistreatment, is that natural for us? No, no. Is it natural for us to love our enemies? Of course not. When you think about this, uh, based on what Jesus says, you look at verse 43. He, he says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, your foes, those who are hostile toward you. What's the difference between someone who mistreats you, like verses 38 to 42 describe, someone who mistreats you where you want revenge? I mean, what's the difference between that person... And an enemy. Enemies tend to be repeat offenders. It's not an incident. It's a pattern. There's intentionality. It's it's become personal. It is about you. And this person has it in for you. Jesus says, if you want to become holy like I'm holy, if you want to become more loving like I'm loving, he's saying, learn to love your enemies. It's unnatural. He knows he's asking us to do what's unnatural. He says, love your enemies. In verse 44, the word uh, love your enemies there is is the, uh, the, the Greek word for agape. Agapao is the word, but agape we get our, which is this unconditional kind of love. It's love without conditions, without strings, without expectations. And, and it's actually in an imperative form, the way the verb is in the original language. And it's a command. I wish it was a suggestion, but he states it as a command. Something we must do. We must show love unconditionally to our enemies, to those who oppose us. And Jesus says all this knowing it's going to stretch every one of us. He knows that. In fact, it's going to stretch us all. If you take it seriously, think through what he's really asking us to do. It will stretch us so much that none of us are likely to succeed at what he's saying unless we're willing to begin by doing a third unnatural thing that's a key to growing in holiness and love, and that is we need to pray for our enemies. Verse 44, the second part of it, he just says it this way. He, he starts out saying, I say, love your enemies. Notice what he says next. Pray for those who persecute you. And he's not saying pray for their death and destruction. You know, the Bible paints this picture in the Old Testament of Korah, who was sort of an enemy of Moses. And uh, the, the picture of the Old Testament is that he's standing against Moses, and he's rallying people to him. And the next thing you know, it's like God turns on him. And literally, the, if you go back and read in Numbers, the earth opens up and swallows him and everybody who was a part of him. 
when you think of your enemies, it's a beautiful passage. You just, you dream of it. It's like, oh God, may, may do unto this person as you did unto Korah. I mean, this is, this is how we want to pray, right? Right? You know, um, Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I have in mind. Pray for their blessing. Jesus is saying, pray like I prayed in Luke 23. So I'm hanging from the cross. Father, forgive them. I, they don't know what they're doing. They truly don't know what they're doing. Pray like Stephen prayed in Acts 7. They're literally stoning him to death, just pummeling him with rocks because he's testifying to Jesus. And, and as, as they're pummeling him, the Bible describes this scene where he, the heavens open and he sees as this vision in that moment of, of Jesus seated on his throne because Jesus had ascended to heaven already. Saw him seated on the throne. And what's Stephen pray for everybody who's in that very moment pummeling him with rocks? He's praying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin against them. This is his prayer. Think of like Martin Luther King. We know of him as somebody who did marches and was preacher and pastor of churches and I have a dream message and all these kind of things. But he was, he was known for being somebody who prayed for the hearts of racists to change. It's a consistent part of his life. And his, imagine how different our world would be if people protested less and prayed for their enemies more. This is Jesus' dream. This is why he teaches this. Because there would be a, a qualitative nature of love that would fill the land and fill the hearts of people on a scale that we have to stretch our minds to imagine. But God has a full and clear picture of that. And it is our destiny. That's part of what Jesus says when, when, when you pray, you know, our, our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. Remember what he says? On earth as it is in heaven. What, what, what's, what's he talking about there? He's talking about a lot of things, but this is part of what he's talking about. His dream is where the earth is permeated with that kind of holy love. He knows it's not natural to us, but he calls us to it. Now, at this point, Jesus knows exactly what's going through his listeners then and our minds. It's a great idea, Jesus. I love the picture. I love the vision. Isn't there an easier path? Isn't there? There's got to be an easier way. This becoming more loving, more holy for righteousness to fill the earth and and Jesus indirectly says no, because he continues in verse 46. By just painting this picture, he just says, you know, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors uh, do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect 
complete, mature, perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which is to say, if we're going to learn to be holy and loving and perfect and complete like our heavenly Father, uh, it's going to require that we choose an unnatural path. It's, it truly is the road less traveled. It truly is. And if you really stop to think about it, it only makes sense that God would expect this of it because maybe I haven't thought about it a lot, but loving you and me isn't always easy for God. I mean, think about it. Each of us is constantly stretching God's capacity to love because we're not perfect. We're not sinless. In our day, we have become masters at coming up with new ways to offend God. I mean, think of, think of art in our day. It's now art to paint a picture, you know, a crucifix upside down in a glass of urine. This is art. You suppose that's offensive to God? Um, I mean, this is the world we live in. I mean, think of in the last seven years, ten years, all the ways that we can sin with our cell phones through Facebook, things that we look at. It's not easy. I mean, we are constantly stretching God's capacity to love us. And so if loving us causes him to stretch, he's just inviting us to become like him toward everybody else around us. We've got to learn to stretch, to go the extra mile for others as well. You and I can do that. With the help of the Holy Spirit, with the right heart submitted to Jesus, we can do that with God's help. I'll close with a story. I learned this past week about a mother who uh, heard her seven-year-old son scream. So she quickly ran into her son's bedroom to see what was wrong. When she got there, she found his two-year-old sister pulling his hair. You've seen the scenario, maybe experienced this. So she gently pried the little girl's fingers out of his hair and told the little girl not to do that. And then she gave her son... Uh, you know, a little pep talk. There, there. She said that she didn't mean it. She doesn't. She doesn't understand. She doesn't know that that hurts. He nodded his acknowledgement as his mom, who was preoccupied, turned and left the room. And three steps out the door, down the hall, mom heard another blood-curdling scream. Only this time, it was from the little girl. And rushing back into the room, mom asked, "What happened?" Little boy calmly responded, she knows now. <laughs> That's what comes naturally to us, right? I mean, it just little versions that grow up into grown-up versions of that. But Jesus is calling us all to a holy, higher 
qualitatively different kind of love. We were made for this. He challenges us to go the extra mile with people just as he, our Heavenly Father, daily do with you and me. He just invites us to walk in his steps. Let's do that. Maybe one day you'll do it this week and you'll fail another moment. Just dust yourself off and get up and try again. Literally limitless opportunities in our day to put this into practice, to fail and then to get up and try again. This is what we're called to. Let's do it. All right, let's stand together and close in prayer. Our world will be a better place as we do that. Let me just say this before we pray, though. I just want to say, you know, as I said a few moments ago, we do need help. We need God's help to succeed at this. Maybe what you need to do this morning, maybe you've been trying to do this on your own, you just need to pray and just say, Lord Jesus, would you help me to love like you've loved me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I need you. Because there's some person you've got a face in your mind, you've got a person, a situation that you're dealing with, and you just do not know how to demonstrate this kind of thing in that context. God's brilliant. He has an idea about that. But you and I may need to seek him for it, and certainly for the strength. So as we wrap up, I want to pray for you about that, all right? Let's bow our heads and pray. If you need prayer for something else, come on down afterwards, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person within the sound of my voice. Thank you for their, their love for you, their desire to want to walk in your ways. I know the difficulty that comes with that. You know it even better than we do. And you, of all people, know the consequences for sometimes walking this way. You know what it's like to have people spit in your face to pluck the, the, the hair from your beard. You know what it's like to have people mock you. To have the whole world as your enemy. We'll have a person or two, God, and, and we think the whole world hates us when the truth is you had the whole world hating you. And uh, we need you. We ask for your help in this regard. What you have asked of us is impossible for us apart from you. Fill us with your love, fill us with your character, fill us with your spirit, Lord Jesus that we and our world might be a better place. Help us to protest less and to pray more. Help us to become like you. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy. May your spirit rest on us and walk with us this week. God, as good things happen, we'll give you credit wherein we make unwise choices, we'll ask your forgiveness because we want to honor you with our lives. May your blessing rest on everybody and may you go with us now. It's our request in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our friend, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.